good to see all of you here this morning. Uh, would you join me in prayer before we begin? Lord, we have just sung to you uh, about your goodness to us and your grace to us. And we come here, um, as Gary said, um, hurting and in desperate need of your grace. I pray that you would speak through your word this morning to encourage us and to uh, show us uh, your light yoke that you have placed upon our shoulders. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the message this morning comes from the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Uh, Before we begin, I'd like to revisit um, Brett's series that he's been leading us through in the book of James. And specifically, last week, we learned that James is telling us to not merely listen to the word, but to do it. Uh, The book of James serves as a healthy reminder and an admonition to us that the Christian life should be characterized by a changed life. If Christ has indeed come and saved us and converted our being into a new creation, we will indeed have works in our lives. We will produce Christian works. And that's what James comes and serves to tell us. Um, James speaks of uh, the absurdity of the idea that we can be a Christian and not have works in our lives. He says it's like a man who looks in the mirror and then uh, sees his face, sees his reflection, and immediately turns around and, and walks away without any, any change. And for us today, that means that would be like a Christian reading Scripture, and Scripture brings to light our sinful nature. Uh, we see it. It's, we see what it says, what it calls us to do, and we walk away uh, not willing or even... Um, aware of what it is telling us to do. And so James is speaking against that idea. He says that the Christian will have works in his life, Uh, not that we are justified by those works, but that the true Christian will have works in his life. So in the church's pursuit of Christ, we see a couple uh, ideas, biblically and historically, that are are dangerous to the church. And the first is uh, this idea that James was speaking against. It was faith without works. James says that faith without works is dead. Um, and uh, the church, the 12 tribes that were in dispersion that James was writing to, uh, were experiencing a bit of a a heresy where they were claiming God's grace, but claiming that uh, it was by grace alone, and there didn't need to be any change in their lives, and that they were saved, and they were confident in that, and James was writing against that. When our culture, um, I believe uh, that there is another danger, and it's on the other end of the spectrum, And it falls uh, in the realm of works before faith or works before a true devotion unto the Lord. And that's what brings us to the story of Mary and Martha, a story that we're all very familiar with. And I would argue that the Western modern church falls into that second category quite a bit. I think that uh, there are not too many in here that would probably boldly proclaim uh, that the Christian life needs no works in it or should not show works uh, as a result of a regenerate heart. But I would say that uh, from entertainers to entrepreneurs to pol- politicians and even churchgoers, uh, our worst Western world holds service to others uh, in high regard. It is a virtue that we all seek, and um, there is a, an atheistic branch called secular humanism which uh, elevates the idea that we can be good to, to each other without uh, God. But what we have to remember in the church is that God not only judges the actions of humanity, but he judges your heart's intentions also. In the Old Testament, the law was brought forward uh, to allow men to serve God and turn to God in faith through obedience to the law. But in the New Testament, we see that 
uh, Jesus has up to Annie a little bit and said not only uh, the actions uh, is what God requires for righteousness, but you are not able to live up to that law. So it is an impossible endeavor that we are faced with, and, and that's where the, the gospel of Jesus Christ comes in and uh, frees us from that yoke of slavery that we had to the law. Um, Amanda and I, as an example, actually were part of a church uh, where we came from on the East Coast. And this church had exemplary acts of service. Uh, they had numerous ministries that they were involved with. Their uh, budget was huge. The city applauded them as being a beacon of light in this city. And other churches in the area wondered, and they seeked, how is it that our church was growing and theirs was not. How come our church was in the news with the good acts of service that they were doing, uh, but theirs were not? Uh, but there was a catch. I was part of a men's group, and, and uh, when we got together, I found that they were spiritually dry and uh, destitute at times. Not all of them, but some of them. And, I mean, I would be lying if I didn't fall into that category also. Uh, but when we would attempt to open the Bible and read God's Word and to take joy in the gospel of Jesus, their hearts were unresponsive, and they were looking elsewhere for their motivation. So while they were producing many works uh, to the outsider, their hearts were dry, and they were destitute, and they were desperately seeking for something uh, to hold on to. We know that James, as we've been hearing, demands that the Christians serve fellow men. He's saying, if you are a Christian, go do these things. This is what... This is what the true converted Christian heart will do. Um, but what does Jesus say about the place of service in the Christian life? So if we are to serve each other, if it is the second greatest commandment to love your neighbor as yourself, uh, then how do we prevent ourselves from falling into this um, uh, heresy of, of serving without our devotion unto the Lord being first? And that's what brings us to uh, the book of Luke and the story of Mary and Martha. Before we begin, I'd like to set up the scene of what is happening uh, in this narrative. We have Jesus has completed his, most of his three-year ministry up in the, in the region of uh, Samaria and uh, Galilee and Jerusalem. And he is coming down from the north, the area of Galilee. He has foretold his death no fewer than two times recorded, most likely many more times than that. He knows exactly what he's He's going to do. He's heading south to go to Jerusalem. He knows that's where he must be crucified, and that's where he will pay the penalty uh, for sins with his blood. Uh, Luke 9.51 says he has set his face towards Jerusalem. That is a very good indicator of what his intention, intention is. It is a, a single focus. He is going down uh, for one purpose, and, and that is to die for those he came to save. So we need to understand that he has very limited time uh, to teach his disciples and to preach his gospel. And that is, that's exactly what he's doing as he's heading south. Well, on his way down south, um, he had just finished sending out 72 missionaries uh, somewhere between Galilee and Jerusalem. And he was questioned by a lawyer, and the lawyer said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responded to him, well, what do the scriptures say, knowing that this man was a Jew? And the lawyer returned with the correct statement. He says, well, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's quoted from what's called the Shema in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, the two greatest commandments uh, of God. And Jesus said, yes, that's correct. And if you do these things, you will do well. And so what we see here is a, 
simplified what does God require of us? It's to love God and to love your neighbor. And immediately following, we get the story of the Good Samaritan, which is Jesus telling us uh, how it is that we love our neighbor. Then immediately following the Good Samaritan, we see uh, the story of Mary and Martha. And it is in the place to to tell us uh, how it is that we are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So this this sets up Uh, The story of Martha, Mary and Martha, brings us to Luke chapter 10, verse 38. We'll we'll move forward from here. Now, beginning in verse 38, we see, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Um, So we have first the character of Martha, and we're all familiar with Martha's character, and a lot of times we tend to make Martha out as the bad guy here. And while she did not make a good decision, uh, the scripture teaches us something a little bit different about Martha's character. So we know that Jesus was traveling south. He wasn't traveling south just by himself. He was traveling with his 12 disciples. And they were moving, going towards Jerusalem. And they stopped in the city of Bethany. And we know from scripture that Jesus had had prior interactions with the family of Mary and Martha, and their brother was Lazarus. Uh, was, he's not in this narrative, but it is the same family. And Jesus had a special affinity or compassion and love for this family. And so he stops in uh, in the city of Bethany, and Martha openly welcomes him and his disciples uh, into her house. We know that we probably know from what we can tell that Martha is a, is a, uh, a widow and the mistress of the home, and so it is her responsibility to be uh, the hostess, if you will, and to welcome people into her home. And so while sometimes Martha is pictured as being uh, the bad guy, here she's showing extreme hospitality, and it comes at quite a cost to her. Not only is she welcoming uh, Jesus and 12 others, she's welcoming 13 men in her home. It's coming at a time that it might not have been uh, the the safest endeavor for her to do so. Uh, We know that... um, it came at a cost to her, for one, a financial cost. As a, as a hostess in Jewish culture, uh, you provide your, your guests with food and drink. So she was providing them, 13 men, with food and drink. And not only did it come at a financial cost, but probably as um, a cost of safety. And Jesus was well known at this time uh, by the Romans and the Jews. He was known as, by the Romans as a troublemaker and by the Jews as a, a heretic. And so the act of Martha taking in Jesus and 12 men into her home in the city of Bethany, which is only a couple miles from Jerusalem, also posed as somewhat of a threat probably to her home, but she did it anyway. So what we see here is this a picture of extreme hospitality by Martha. So it, just right at the beginning of the story, we see Martha showing a very good uh, trait uh, that we should all uh, yearn to, to mimic and to show with our homes also where possible. So the story starts off with the story of, or the character of Martha showing her being very hospitable, which is, falls in line with the second greatest commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. So she was showing hospitality. Uh, What does the scripture say about Mary? Okay, moving on to verse 39, it says, And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So we have this picture that while Martha is being a hostess and uh, welcoming guests into her house and probably serving them food, working in the kitchen. Mary is busy 
sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to his teaching. So there are two main ideas that are presented here. The idea that Mary is sitting at the Lord's feet and that she is listening to his teaching. Uh, from what we read in Scripture, we can tell that the word picture that's presented here is not merely the act of Mary sitting uh, while her sister is working. It is not uh, something that she is doing to get out of work. It is a posture. So the point that we see here is not that uh, Mary is fleeing from work. It is the posture that she has towards Jesus. So when it says that Mary sat at the Lord's feet, in the Jewish culture, that was the idea that a pupil was sitting at the feet of, an, of a teacher, eagerly awaiting the message that was going to be given, and uh, awaiting in a, in a, a, um, with a feeling of uh, submission and obedience. As soon as the words that were going to come out of Jesus' mouth, she was going to want to obey what was being said. So it is a, it is a, a, a picture of a, a submissive pupil sitting in front of a teacher. So it is much more than the idea of just sitting and, and reading uh, or sitting and listening to a man speak. And in our case, it's much more than uh, sitting and reading our Bibles. It is a posture of submission and love towards the instructor, the teacher that is telling us something. And what is it that Jesus is saying? It says that Martha... Oh, excuse me, uh, Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, what exactly was Jesus teaching at this time? The word used for teaching actually is a word that's used about 40 other times in the book of Luke to indicate uh, the gospel, the divine proclamation. And, and we know, uh, discussing what we just did, that Jesus was on his way south to die on the cross uh, for the salvation of his people. And so, his primary intention was the preaching of his gospel. He was making disciples to the preaching of his gospel, of what was being said. So now we have a picture of Mary sitting in this position of submission and obedience and, and eagerly awaiting the words that were coming out of Jesus' mouth, ready to do what it says, because she knows the weight of the situation. She knows that Jesus is very close to going to die. She might know, not know exactly um, what the purpose of it was, even though Jesus had spelled it out for the disciples many times, she understood the weightiness of, of the message being preached, the, the weight of the gospel. So I wanted to emphasize one more time, it, it is the posture of Mary um, that we are looking at, orient, and the orientation she is having. She is in submission, oriented towards her Messiah, towards Jesus, her friend. And we'll see, moving on to verse 40, uh, what was Martha's reaction? Now, if we put our, ourselves in the position of Martha, we could probably uh, foretell what we would say, and it probably lines up with what Martha said. So if we were busy being a hostess, we were doing what the second greatest commandment commands us to do, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And that means serving uh, Jesus. It means serving his disciples. And Mary's uh, busy sitting and just listening. Martha's... It goes on in verse 40, it says, But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. First, I'd like to draw your attention. Martha was distracted. Um, this word that is used here is more than a mere not paying attention or uh, being carried away 
with something else with no desire for what is happening. I think that uh, there's a very important clue that we can take from this verse. It says that she was distracted. It is the sense that she was, she was pulled away from what Jesus was, was speaking. She wanted to be where Mary was, but she felt this weight on her shoulders. It was the weight of her service that she thought that Jesus was requiring of her at that time. So she was carrying a burden, and when confronted with this burden, she reacts in a sinful way, as we see here. So it is this unwarranted burden that she is feeling that uh, I can't listen to my Savior. I can't sit at his feet as a pupil because I have too much work to do. Um, So it's very important that we understand that Martha, in this sense, is not the bad guy. She has, per se, good intentions, but her priorities are in the wrong place at this very moment. So she wants to be where Jesus is at, but she can't because she feels that she must work. This sounds a lot like our lives, doesn't it? Uh, sounds like mothers who, who want to desperately read their Bibles in the morning or at night but can't because the children are sick or crying um, and they've just had too long of a day to, um, to stay up at night. Or it sounds like the individual who is suffering from chronic illness and wants to uh, seek after the Lord but uh, is consistently too tired or too hurting too much to, to go and do so. Or the father that wants to lead his family faithfully but he's so busy at work uh, wearing himself out that when he returns home he has nothing left to give uh, but to, to sit, eat, and go to bed. Or the student who's too busy schooling, whether it's at seminary or not, too busy learning uh, so that he can provide for maybe a future family. Or it even sounds like church staff or ministry volunteers that are so busy with their ministries at church that they don't have time at home. They feel they don't have time to pursue the Lord through reading of his word and through prayer. So we find that Mary, or excuse me, Martha confronts Jesus. She's carrying this burden that's not hers to carry, and she responds to Jesus in this way. She says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So she asks this rhetorical question. She is comparing herself to what Mary is doing. She sees herself as doing what Jesus demands, what the Old Testament law demands, which is serving your neighbor, loving your neighbor as yourself. And she sees Mary as not doing that. She is jealous of Mary. And she's asking Jesus, don't you see what my sister is doing? She is, she is not doing what I'm doing I want to be where she is, so help make her help me serve you so that I can make my way uh, to where you are at. And secondly, she gives him a command afterwards. She says, tell her then to help me. So she even goes as far uh, to give Jesus a command. And she believes Jesus is the Messiah, and she loves Jesus, but her sin really comes out when she's pressed into a corner. I think this is human nature when... We have good intentions, but when we're pressed in the corner with the weight of something that we may believe to be the will of God, our sin comes out. And in this case, uh, it's Martha's idea that she must serve before she goes and sits as a disciple before the Lord's feet. So the pressure of her service was revealing symptoms of her misplaced priorities. So we see this, this coming out. She was impatient, she was disrespectful, and she even had anger towards her sister. Next we see, what was Jesus' reaction? Um, 
we might expect something different from what we read. But Jesus is gracious, as he most often is. He says, But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. So first off, uh, what we see when reading in uh, verse 41 is this double address. Jesus says, Martha, Martha. And that is, anytime we read that in the English text, that, that means that it is a, an address of compassion and of mercy. So Jesus is approaching Martha and with a compassionate, a, a sense of compassion in his voice. And he's saying, uh, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Uh, what we see with the, the verbiage used, anxious and troubled, this is the same type of language that you, is used earlier in Luke in chapter 8 when Jesus is telling the parable of the seed that falls along the wayside. And in one instance, it falls along rocks and thorns, and it says that the rocks and thorns choked out the seed. And it's the same type of language here, that, that Martha has somewhere that she wants to be, but the weight of her, her ministry, if you will, is choking out uh, her ability to be where Jesus says we are to be first. What's important to notice is that Jesus is not condemning her works. So what I don't want you to take away from this story is that Jesus is telling Martha, what you're doing is wrong, come sit at my feet. He is showing her that the weight that is placed upon her shoulders is not hers to carry, and she is anxious and troubled about many things. We must acknowledge this point. Um, he is beginning to place Martha's priorities somewhere other than her, serv- his, her service. That is, that is what Jesus is beginning to do with this address. You see, what Martha was doing was very important. She was uh, fulfilling the second greatest commandment. But what Mary was doing was the most important. So at the end of the day, when we read this, it is not that our works are not important because Jesus came to serve and he came as um, a humble servant to his father and to men as the creator of the universe. And we are to to do the same. We are to listen to the, the preaching from the book of James and uh, rejoice because God has called us to serve each other. Uh, But what Jesus is doing is placing priority at his feet. He is saying that before you serve, I want you to come and do as Mary is doing and sit and listen at my teaching. We need to ask ourselves, are we anxious and troubled about many things, about our, our ministries? Are we carrying this burden that's not ours to carry of service to others. And when I say carrying a burden that's not ours to carry, we are to serve others once more. This is an a, a important emphasis that uh, cannot be overlooked. Um, but what Jesus is doing is placing priority over submission and a place of a disciple at his feet prior to our works. So if service to others is not our first priority, which we often think it is, We are trained uh, with the assumption that we are living our lives as devoted disciples of Christ, taking joy in the gospel, um, being joyful in our our spreading of the gospel, uh, doing works to others because Christ has has done the ultimate work for us. So we spend our Christian lives, either in church or in school, being taught we are to go out, Matthew 28, 19, and make disciples of all the nations. And... We press upon that hard, as we should, 
But Jesus is doing something very important for us in this narrative, and he is bringing us back. So you cannot go do those things until you first come and sit at my feet. So let's read what Jesus' reaction was. After he tells her, tells Martha she is troubled about many things, he says, But one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So at the end of the day, when we feel like we have had too much load on our shoulders, uh, that we do not have time to approach God in reading his scripture or in prayer, or when we feel like we have to check off our scripture reading from a box uh, to make ourselves feel better about our Christian lives, Jesus tells Martha, there's only one thing that is necessary. Uh, That should be a great encouragement to all of us, depending on what that one thing is. And after we read what that one thing is, it is definitely encouragement uh, to all of us. And that one thing, he says that Mary has chosen the good portion. It's what Mary is doing. So Mary is sitting and listening while Martha is working. So Jesus says that one thing is to come and sit at my feet as as a disciple. Uh, Be willing to obey what I am about to tell you and take joy in that fact. His gospel Uh, should bring more joy than anything else in this whole world. And I think we all know that to be true, but Jesus is commanding us that that is the one thing that is necessary, not what Martha is doing right now. He didn't, again, he didn't uh, denigrate what Martha was doing. He was just saying, your priority is in the wrong place. You should be where Mary is at at this moment. So Jesus demands our discipleship before uh, he demands our service. And if we want to go somewhere else in Scripture to see the heart of a man that is truly seeking after the Lord, I think uh, we don't have to go much further uh, than the book of Psalms with David. And we sang a song that's very close to this. Um, We we read this from David. Uh, He says in Psalm 27, One thing I have asked of the Lord. It's very similar to what we read here. Jesus is saying only one thing is required. David says, There's only one thing that I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Psalm 27, 4. I think that is a very good glimpse into the heart of a man that has his priorities in the right place. Uh, David has lots of responsibilities in his life and there's one thing that he desires and that's to be dwelling in the house of the Lord because it brings him joy. And he sees God as being beautiful. We have the even clearer picture of the beauty of God in the person of Christ, which David did not even have. So not only do we have an encouragement that only one thing is necessary in our lives, um, we have the encouragement that it will not be taken away from us. It says, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. What God desires of us is our devotion and our willingness to submit to what he says. It is a condition of the heart that God desires. It is a willingness to conform ourselves to the beauty of Jesus Christ that we see in Scripture. This is a true hope. It's not a hope in our life circumstances. or It's not even our hope in our works, the things that we do. I think a lot of times we feel good about the fact that we have ministries. We feel good about the fact uh, that we volunteer uh, in church, children's ministries even. Um, 
It is something natural. Uh, our sinful tendencies will take something that is very good that God has given us. God has given us good works, it says in Ephesians, that he has laid them out before us. And we will take those works and we'll say, look what I have done, and we will feel justified by those works. Um, Luke here is telling us through the story of Jesus that our, our true hope, what Jesus is telling uh, Martha, is that what Mary has, what Mary is doing, can't be taken away from her. And we get a very clear picture of the eternal aspect of this hope in uh, 2 Peter 3.10. 2 Peter 3.10, I'll read. It says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? This is in reference to the end times. It says that the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved in the earth, and the works that are done on it will be exposed. All of the works that we do, even the works we do for Christ, uh, will be exposed for what they are. We cannot uh, put stock in what we do as our ministries. We can rejoice with each other over the fact that we're able to serve each other. Uh, but Scripture says that our works are but filthy rags to Christ. And it's by His grace that we are even able to serve each other in the church and outside the church. So our works will be exposed. But what Mary is doing is eternal. She is learning to be a disciple of God. And whether we die today or whether we die in 30 or 40 years, we will spend eternity doing what Mary is doing and listening to what Jesus is saying and rejoicing over the gospel, the good message that he is presenting. So what's the main idea that uh, Luke is giving to us? Is the idea that the pursuit of God and his teaching, taking joy in, in the gospel, takes precedence even over our service to others. He's saying that the Shema, the love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, he's saying the first commandment comes first and the second commandment comes second. We see that Martha chose poorly. Uh, she had a sincere desire to be at the Lord's feet, but she felt the priority of her works before she felt the priority to sit and to take advantage of the moment uh, that Mary was taking advantage of sitting at the Lord's feet. And then we see Mary, who chose better. She was sitting and listening as a disciple of Christ. And that begs the question, so am I to forsake my responsibilities uh, in the church, in my family, in society, for the sake of longer quiet times or longer prayer times? Are you to forsake your responsibilities as a, as a father to provide, to work hard at your job, or your responsibilities as a, a mother um, getting up early and staying up late for the benefit of your children? Or a community servant, are you to, to cut back on your roles as a community servant in your ministry so that you can have longer quiet times to read your Bible more, um, to pray more? Or a student in your studies, should you take less classes so you will have time to actually read your Bible for longer or to spend more time devoted in prayer? And again, the point that we have here in this gospel is not... Uh, the act of what we call a quiet time, it is the position that Mary is taking at the feet of Jesus. She is sitting and listening, and she is devoted to his teaching. I would argue that you could spend uh, 
an excessive amount of time in Scripture and not be devoted to teaching, or you could spend spend an excessive amount of time in Scripture and walk away with more knowledge of God, but not any knowing God himself. Um, so it is, it is the position, it is the position of a submissive servant ready to do what the Lord has told us is, rejoicing over the gospel message of Jesus Christ and knowing that the yoke of our works is not placed upon our shoulders, but was placed upon Christ's shoulders when he died for us on the cross. You know, the Father demands that sin be paid for, and we can't do it. Uh, the Old and the New Testament reveal that to us, but Christ did do it, and he did it on the cross. So our burden is not the works that James is advocating. Our, our burden is merely to sit at the Lord's feet, and that's how Jesus says that your yoke is, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. That is the one thing that he requires of us. I think it's important, again, to remember that our works are even prepared for us beforehand. That's in Ephesians 2.10. So if God has prepared our good works for us to do beforehand, we cannot think that the works that he has prepared for us to do are going to cause us to be uh, separated from him through reading, which is necessary, and through prayer. The gospel has been given to us through the word of God. We must read the word of God. Uh, but it is not a time spent in the word of God that, that uh, this uh, gospel is advocating. It is our position to the gospel itself. We have many examples of men and women throughout history that have had uh, enormous weights placed upon their shoulders in terms of service. Uh, one I'd like to tell you about is an uh, evangelist, early 19th century, named George Mueller. Uh, it, is, it was recorded that he served and saved over 10,000 orphans in England. Uh, there were demands, excessive demands on his life, because those 10,000 orphans were but a fraction of the or- orphans in England in the early 19th century. And this is something he wrote at the end of his life. He says, According to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to this, to it, to is, is this. Above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims upon your attention, but I deliberately repeat, It is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all the things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. Day by day, seek to make this the most important business of your life. So George Mueller, a man uh, who was devoted to saving orphans and tireless work day in and day out, he said that he found at the end of his life the most important thing was to seek the Lord and to be happy in the gospel. And even more importantly, who else do we see this in but in Jesus himself? Uh, I would argue that Jesus had more demands on his time and his energies than any man in history. Uh, The Messiah came to earth. He had the power to to heal and to save. And we repeatedly see Jesus retreating up into the mountainside to pray to his Father as the prime example of what we are supposed to do when it feels like the weights of even our ministries in the church are pressing upon our shoulders. So in some circumstances, I would say that it is healthy to shed responsibilities. Uh, Seek wise counsel in the church before doing so. I don't want to diminish the importance of our works that we have because Christ called us to be servants to others. Uh, it is not that we should sacrifice our service to others for longer quiet times or prayer times. Just remember, uh, this is not the, the main point of this, this message. 
but we should truly hold to the one thing, the good portion that Mary chose. We should hold on to the fact that we do not have the weight of our works weighing us down. When that weight is taken off our shoulders and we see that it is placed upon Christ's shoulders, that frees us to go out and do the works that God has told us to go out and do for others. I received very good advice one time when I felt like I could not keep up uh, with uh, ministering to people in the church in my care group. And I was told, you do what you can, and then you pray and trust God that he will send somebody else uh, to make up for where you lack. And we have to remember that, that we all lack the ability to even serve one another without God coming before and giving us the works that we have to do. It's by his grace that we can serve each other. It's not by our own power. So when we cannot, we feel like we can't keep up with our ministries at church or our service to our fellow Christians or our evangelism to the lost, you do what you can and you pray and trust that God will take care of what is left over. So how are we to know if we are serving others apart from the devotion unto the Lord that breeds true service. You know, we are very deceitful, even as believers. You know, the scriptures say that the heart is deceitful, and above all, all else, who can know it? So we have a tendency to trick ourselves into thinking that our works are justifying ourselves. So how are we to know this? Well, the passage today brings out three points, three questions that, that are very healthy, healthy to ask ourselves. We look at the the character of Martha in this story, and we can relate. Uh, Number one, do we delight in God in the midst of our works? Uh, Martha was not delighting in her works for Christ. She had come to Christ after seeing her sister sitting at Jesus' feet, and she became judgmental, angry, and even disrespectful. And this doesn't mean that through our hard, long days that we have complete happiness every step of the way. That means at the end of the day, do you delight in the fact that God has given you works to do to each other, for each other? Um, Are you delighting in your service if God has called you? I use these examples over and over again, uh, but it's fresh in my mind because my wife is a mother of four. Uh, If Christ has called you to be a mother, and and he has if you have children, then you take joy at the end of the day. That doesn't mean that throughout the whole day you're completely happy um, with injuries and uh, disobedience um, and the tiredness that just comes from raising families. At the end of the day, do you take joy in what you're doing? Uh, Martha did not have joy in her service. Number two, do you find yourself comparing your works to others around you? And do you feel guilty for not serving as much as somebody else in the church? I think we all can identify in some way to this. Uh, And when we start thinking in this manner, we are thinking through the eyes of somebody that thinks they are justified through what they're doing in the church or for other people. This is the very burden that Martha was relieved from when Jesus said, there's only one thing necessary. There's There's one priority. The ultimate priority is to sit at my feet and listen to my teaching. Uh, When we start to do this, we become anxious and troubled about many things. We worry uh, about how we are going to serve others. If it's going to be as good as the next guy. I even struggled with this writing this sermon. Um, Am I going to present this in a way that is going to be as good as somebody else? Um, And and I have to remind myself, because I am up here preaching it, that God has required one thing from me, and that is to 
to sit at the Lord's feet and, and to listen to his teaching as a disciple. And lastly, we see at the end of verse 42, the phrase, which will not be taken away from, or the good portion, do we find our ultimate hope in our works? So at the end of the day, do we go to bed smiling because we went out uh, and took a mission trip to Africa and dug wells for Africans? Are we delighting in what what we are doing uh, in society um, over uh, delighting in what the Lord has done for us? Now, again, these acts are very good and we should be doing these things because we are called to have compassion and to serve others, but we cannot take more delight in our works than we do in the gospel of Jesus Christ that has given us the grace to even go out and do these works. We see that the good portion, the one thing that's necessary, has eternal hope for us. 2 Peter 3.10 reveals that to us. So if you can answer yes to any or all of these uh, questions, these three questions, you're in good company. I think that uh, every one of us in here has, has struggled with this at one point in your lives. In closing, we must remember that this should be the first focus of the local church, and that is to display the beauty of Christ on the cross, to point each other uh, to the cross, to make disciples that are ready to sit and to listen to God's teaching. We do that through the preaching of the word, and we do that through Sunday school classes. We do that through corporate worship of song. Uh, we do that through the Lord's Supper coming together with in communion to celebrate uh, Christ's death for us on the cross. The, the church is designed to point each other uh, to Christ, and that's why the, the, the function of the church is so important. Jesus gave us the church to do this very thing. And when we are pointed to Christ, we will realize that it is our soul's passion to go out and to spread the gospel and to serve others. That is the root of the very thing that we are called to do is the one thing that Jesus demanded uh, from Martha, which is to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his teaching. Knowing this, now we can go out, as James says, and be doers of the word, joyfully being freed from the yoke of slavery to the law and being enslaved to Jesus Christ. We are slaves to Jesus. Knowing that our yoke is easy, that Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light, we are now freed to go out and to serve one another.